Kia ora, my name is Mark Easterbrook, and you're listening to Going West Audio. For your enjoyment, education and inspiration, we've opened up our archives, queued up the tapes and unearthed the best oratory, discussion and performance from 25 years of the Going West Writers' Festival. In this episode from 2009, the writing and acting talent behind TV's Outrageous Fortune share the secrets of bringing the West and the Wests to life on our TV screens. It's a pleasure to introduce... Rachel Lang, Simon Griffin and Robin Malcolm in conversation with some impressed. And let me tell you right from the start, I started watching Outrageous Fortunes from the beginning. And the moment they started playing Hello Sailor as the opening music, I knew it was going to work. And I've been impressed ever since at the wonderful commitment to New Zealand music this programme has consistently applied all the way through its soundtrack. So um, all those things we were talking about, Westy culture before with, with Rod, have been encapsulated in so many ways by Outrageous Fortune. So thank you and welcome all of you. Simon. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. hello. <clears throat> well, um, as the only actor in the country yet to appear on the show, <laughs> I feel uniquely qualified to bring a measure of clarity, objectivity and perspective to the session and celebration of our very own West Side Story. In name and in nature, in place and in people, the fortune it has enjoyed over the last five years is hardly outrageous, but rather a measure of the world-class creative team behind its creation and realisation on screen. It is my pleasure to welcome three artists whose efforts have been central to the show's success. Please give a warm Waitakere welcome to the show's co-creators, Rachel Lang and James Griffin, and its lovely leading lady, Robin Malcolm. Sex. Yep. Drugs. Yep. Rock and roll. Necrophilia. Oedipal episodes. Incest. More sex, more drugs, and more rock and roll. It's wonderful that you uh, haven't promoted any stereotypes of the West. <laughs> and that you're providing a whole new generation of role models for our young people. Where did you, I guess, the genesis of the show, James and Rachel? I know James... It it started with this woman over here, so she should talk first. Um, The main genesis was threat of unemployment. Um, uh, James and I were both uh, wondering what we would do next. Um, it also rose from a measure of frustration because James and I had written some shows that ended up in the graveyard that is known as Friday Night uh, on television and, and we were cross about that. Um, and I already knew with the show that I was working on, which was called Mercy Peak, which I liked a lot, which was a, a nice show, but it was not rude or in your face enough to uh, convince a New Zealand audience that they needed to watch it. So I thought that whatever I did next should be a comedy and it should be really rude and it should always have sex in the first act. Um, and, I, and James, So James and I pulled some ideas and partly it was based on a family who were in Mercy Peak who were called the Van der Velters. They were a Dutch white trash family. Um, and Anthony Starr played the son. Um, and I thought, watching it, I thought a funny version of those people would be good. And I'd also heard a thing on the radio about 
medium income for women being $14,000. And I was in the shower thinking, God, it's amazing more people don't turn to crime when if that's what people are earning. So all those things kind of came together. And it was, yeah, sort of the characters sort of sprang fully formed, really. James, it's a, it's, a, it's a long way from, well, not that far, really, from, from gloss to outrageous fortune. It's a, it's a long drive across town. I, I just like to think we changed suburbs. We went from yes, the inner yes, city to the, yes. to the much more salubrious west. The same sort of thing, though, of a, a, a family as a central uh, unit of, of the show and everything spins off that, off, off the matriarch. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the beauty... We're shooting season six at the moment, and the beautiful thing about what Rachel started and I kind of got to join in with and and uh, we created is that we still, even a hundred and something or other episodes down the track, keep coming back to the very core of simple thing that, you know, here's a woman who wants the best for her family. They don't want what she wants for them, but that's not the issue. Mm. It's about a woman trying to protect her family. And when you've got something as strong as that in the, in the centre of a series, you know, you've seen series that kind of just, they wander off into... Yeah, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, we keep coming back to that one thing mm. and trying new ways to test that central thesis. Well, Cheryl, I guess she's more leopard than lioness, would you say? Just by the costume alone. More... <laughs> A lion and leopard's clothing. Or even cougar. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> God, not yet. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, Cheryl is... Um, yeah, she's driven by protecting her children, which I think is something that, you know, um, most people can respond to. And I think also by removing the you know, by removing the notion of necessarily having to stay on the right side of the law all the time, you then get into some interesting stuff about, you know, what exactly is a good life mm. and how do you lead a good life and, you know, is stealing necessarily a bad thing? Or, you know, like, what, what, what is it that makes us good? At, well, it's, it's, The show has an internal morality. It has an internal morality, mm. um, which they kind of discover and lose and rediscover. Sure. You know, as seasons go on, and I think that's a, you know, it, it's lovely having the kind of the backdrop being crime, because you know the um, some of the rat, rat some of the most interesting people watch. I've met are criminals. Yes, that's right. Yes. That's it's right. like I'd rather spend a night listening to how someone lost money than how someone made money. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> well, and I think that's very that, true. That's very true. Very yeah. True. Um, just back in the green room, um, you, you 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 told us how some men, um, how men approach you in, in, in the street or don't approach you. I just wondered if oh, I No to... secrets from you, are there? <laughs> <laughs> just share that with the group. Oh. <laughs> I'm blushing there. Well, I've got this theory. I've decided that people, you know, out there, it's, it's an interesting um, uh, position to be uh, an actress playing a character uh, who everyone's very familiar with. You know, they're more familiar with Cheryl than they are with me. So if I go out in, in sort of the public sphere or whatever, people tend to respond to what they've seen on television. And it's, you know, it's... And, um, or on the cover of the Metro. Or on the cover, perhaps. Yes, yes. yes. Um, 
You won't be reprising that. I won't today. be reprising <laughs> that one today. No, no. And I decided that people kind of respond. Men respond to Cheryl or me the way women respond to plumbers. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sort of a bit of rough and a bit up for it, you know. <laughs> which 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 plumbers do you use? <laughs> well, you know the stereotype. You know what I mean. You know, come come. You know that thing about you know come and fix my shower. Yeah. You know while I'm in it. Yeah. That sort of. You know, or is, is that just my world? Is that <laughs> my pipes need a bit. My, of a, my, yeah, my pipes need some cleaning. <laughs> and. Um, that's one, one of my favourite lines from the show is that when Hayden and Loretta are arguing about the porn film and, and Loretta says, in what universe does a plumber knock on the door and five minutes later they're shagging? And Hayden says, I don't know, I'm not a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> me... Well, that's one of them. No, but then that's, you know, uh, uh, and, and I say this with great gratitude to James and Rachel is one of the things I love about Cheryl is that she's a woman over 40 and she's, you know, she's um, very interested in sex, which I think is a great thing to have, a, to have a, a, a New Zealand woman presented in that way. I think some guy, I love it. It's very French attitude very, towards, very well, French. Very, oh, I'd, I'd say it's very Kiwi sort of. Oh, I'm not necessarily in agreement there, but never mind. <laughs> The show's time slot, of course, does allow for its adults, adult themes to be fully explored. Um, that must give you two the freedom that you revel in, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were a bit surprised when we... They, they kind of said, well, we're going to put you on at 9.30 and that'll be a really good thing. Being on later is not usually a good thing, but it did free us up um, a lot and it meant we could have... A fuck of a lot more swearing in the yeah. show. <laughs> Although we do have a thing on on the yes. the program that we work on, the the writing program has a thing called a profanity report. Um, it's like a statistics report, and so when I'm finishing a script, I sometimes just go in and put the profanity report on, and it'll go, you'll go four cocks, one bitch, and it'll give you a complete list of how many there yeah. are. Do you have a record? Uh, so actually, some of the scripts do get up there, and I. You know, sometimes... Yeah. 20 cocks? Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. There was one episode where we... We have a qualitative and quantitative control There's system. There's a quota, isn't there? Yeah, and because we understand yeah. that if there are... I love X, it, James, how so you... Now, if there are X number of swear words, well, the F word particularly in a script, the actors are always going to add that, that number. So mm. we need to get it down a bit but there was one episode where we failed miserably to do that, and I remember watching it going, ooh, ooh, and then somebody cut it all together, just took those words out and put it on YouTube. And <laughs> <laughs> it goes for about two and a half minutes. Just <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> and the yeah. rating soared. Yeah. yeah. The, the rating soared and we got a memo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, um, uh, Robin... It's a, a, such a wonderful and unique experience to be with a character over five years, I guess over six years now. How have you found being with Cheryl over that time? I remember watching Helen Mirren, I think, talking about a prime suspect, and she said I was like was putting on an old glove or meeting an old friend. And I'm not for one moment suggesting old, but what is it like for you um, to be able to revisit the character? Because I know being on stage sometimes, at the end of a season, you get a four-week season, say, 
and you know uh, you walk backstage after the last performance and you go oh shit that's how the perfor- that's how the scene was supposed yeah. to be played do you do you think that's it's a-, a lovely point yeah because you with this one you, you get a lot of opportunities to get it right or I've had a lot of opportunities to get it right and um and keep exploring her I mean what's great is that she's being thrown into new situations all mm. the time so there's always a way there's there's always an opportunity to find another side to her you know which is a bit like life really isn't it and um but yeah I relate to that you know I um, because she dresses so differently to me and, you know, she's in heels and the jewellery and stuff. Now, I have a... I guess there's a sense of memory now, mm. so I can kick into her a lot a lot more easily than I used to be able to. Yep. And um, it's it's possibly slightly maddening. I think it's why a lot of actors um, are nuts, is, um, is because you spend... Um, a, Particularly in television, you can spend more of your waking hours being somebody else, other, you know, being being somebody else, literally, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and if it's a character that you quite like playing, it's you know sometimes it's come back, come <laughs> 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 back. to return to the horror of one's real life. Well, it's interesting too. You know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but Anthony Anthony Starr, who plays Van and Jethro. It's, it's fascinating watching him on set when he switches from one character to the other, you know, because we'll, we'll shoot a scene um, with him playing Van and then we'll go back and we'll reshoot it with him playing Jethro if both characters are in the show. And when he's not... When he's, uh, you know, between takes, his whole personality changes, like the actor changes as well mm. because of what he's... the sort of the energy that he's working Into a with. third persona. Into a third persona, mm. yeah. Yeah. I've always he's wanted to ask, nuts. does he get paid more for playing two characters? Because it, it just seems to me if he doesn't, that's, he doesn't. No. no. He has had a pay rise at some stage, but, yeah, mm. to start with, no, he didn't. Try so. hiring another actor to play the twin yeah, role. No. So. <laughs> now we, although we did learn that you can't treat the actor, you know, actor Cheryl, you know, you know, Robin Cheryl... Uh, Anthony is actually one person trying to do two, so you can't actually have two characters. Yeah, we did Because you kill him oh, sure. by the end of a series. Mm. So we actually mm. ha- now have a kind of a quota system yeah. where we, we need to, to make him light on certain episodes, only have one of the characters in other episodes just to get the guy through the series. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. On the end of season two, he unfortunately said to us that in season three, three he'd like more to do and he'd like to be tested. And um, <laughs> You never say that to we these did, two. did. Oh. And, oh, dear. That was the whole dead aurora and all that kind of stuff. But then we thought, oh, Jethro hasn't had much to do. We should give him something <laughs> as well. Yeah. Mm. It's a, the problem, you know, they're, they're characters and mm. when we play with them, you tend to forget. Yeah. These living, breathing human beings that at the end of the day have to rest their head on a or, pillow and yeah. try to sleep. Or indeed actors. <laughs> or indeed actors. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. indeed yeah. actors. Yeah. yeah. Or in, just insane ones. Yeah. <laughs> in general terms, how would you categorise the state of uh, the TV industry in this country at the moment? Or film and TV? You said you were gonna, there were no curveballs. You said it was all going to be easy, Simon. It's easy. <laughs> What's your opinion? Uh, I think... As I read through your, your CVs here, I mean, you couldn't ask for, you know, more people more central to the development of television over the last 20 years. And James and I, I you know, all the way back at Gloss, which is like 1987. Mm. This is a, a long time. And um, the industry has certainly changed over that time and, and we do seem to be seeing more of ourselves on television and more accepting of uh, ourselves on television and we're able to flog our stuff 
elsewhere mm -hmm. rather than watching all, you know, Australian television? Oh, I think it's definitely got better and it's in quite good shape television-wise. Um, I'm, I'm more critical of film, but I don't work in that area, mm. so it would feel unwise of me to say too much. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think that everyone's skills have just got so much better and what's really great is that the audience now watch New Zealand shows with a sense of that they could be quite good instead of being cringy and embarrassing. Yeah. Well, it's the opportunity to do it again and again and again and I guess that's where SPP has been uh, so crucial uh, to that is that you get the opportunity to knock off the rough, rough edges by sheer opportunity to do it again and again. That was one of, uh, one of the... Wonderful things about working uh, at the Mercury in repertory uh, was that you know you could be terrible, but you had the opportunity to go. I was terrible because of, and mm. rectify it next time around. We've, so, we've had quite a lot of practice now. I think yeah. that's quite <laughs> quite helpful. Yeah. Mm. Yes, and I, mean, I, I think we will always smack up against the reality of we're New Zealand. We're a tiny country. We can't make as much as we should because there simply isn't the money. And I think we will always hit that wall. Um, it is part of a knowledge economy, though, don't you think? A creative economy, Def because... Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. It, and it, in the great scale and of the things. the wonderful thing is it employs so many people It does, as well. it does. So, mm. so much training and all that sort of thing, and it doesn't really, in the great scale yeah. of things, cost all that much, and, yeah. and the return is so huge. And indeed, with the future Green Party Minister of Broadcasting here... <laughs> um, <laughs> She'll change things. Yeah, I'll change things. Mm. I, I think what Rachel said too is really important, that the, the, the cultural cringe thing. I sort of felt maybe 20, 25 years ago we were still, you know, we were a bit sort of disenfranchised from ourselves culturally and we, we, we were kind of embarrassed to watch ourselves on screen unless we were taking the piss out of ourselves mercilessly, mercilessly or cruelly. And, and maybe one of the things that's happened in the last, you know, five, six, seven years is that we're not looking to try and imitate... Well, uh, countries. I, th I think Shorty was the big turn. I think Shortland Street was a really big turn in because there'd been a gap in drama at about that point and I think having that on seven nights a week, and you remember what it was like when yeah. that started, everyone went, oh, you know, Cure is Shortland Street. People couldn't believe that we really talked like that. Yeah, yeah. Because they weren't hearing that kind of real accent yeah. on TV very much. Yeah. Well, uh, no, no show could really be more of, of a celebration of Kiwi culture than outrageous fortune. I mean, it is truly boots and brass straps and mm. well, brass straps, I guess. Um, do you see more shows in that line, or, or where where would you, I guess, in your own careers, I guess, um, what what is left to 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 rape and pillage and plunder for our viewing pleasure? <laughs> oh, they're they're always fresh fields. I mean, the the, the um, uh, you know in the future when Outrageous ceases to exist. I hope that doesn't mean that Rachel and I will, yeah, in that great New Zealand way of, you've had your turn, good on you, you did well, mm. next please. I mean, mm. we've, we've got other projects we'd love to do and... Uh, do you know, run training things for, for writers and, and stuff like that? Yeah, um, but what actually we've... I've found most successful is we work with um, an actor called Tim Baum who has become mm. a writer. So he's been working with us on Outrageous since season two. And over the period of the last few years, he's, his writing's really improved. So that's actually been a practical way to do it. Yeah, and then like what, a scholarship almost. Yeah, well, he, he's, he's, earning, he's earning his keep. He's doing a really good job. Yeah. And on Go Girls, we've been working with a writer as well um, who's, who was 
quite experienced, and so sort of training her up in that way has been really good. Sure. Yeah. Do you miss I think that's, that, that's the best way to do it, actually. Do you miss the stage? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I wouldn't give this up for it. <laughs> you won't have to give it up. No, no, but I do, of course, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're two entirely different beasts. Entirely different, you know. The strange thing, I was thinking about this the other day. We were watching the wee girl, um, she's, she's a wee girl now, who plays baby Jane, and she's been with us since she was... Six weeks. Six weeks old, and she's now walks onto set by herself. In fact, she had her first diva moment the other day and wouldn't wear the costume she was put in. <laughs> Very cute. And she, she, you know, she was sitting at the table and we were talking about her experience of being on the show and if, if it, you know, if it was going to have any impact on her. And we were discussing the fact that, you know, the notion of doing television is that, you know, in, in, in life, everything heads in one direction and, you know, the past is the past and the future is the future. But in, in television, it's like a loop, you know, like you go back and you repeat the same moment over and over and over again and her experience will mm. be that. Mm. And that's the kind of... Uh, I guess the thing with any kind of screen work is that you're constantly going back and repeating, whereas in the theatre you're not. Mm. It's, it's got that sense of life just heading in one direction, sure. and no matter what happens, you keep going. You keep going. Yeah, yeah. whereas if Anthony Starr pulls his pants down on set, we can go back and start again. Or keep going. Or keep going. <laughs> depends, on, depends on which director depends is doing that. <laughs> depends on the director. Yeah, that's right. How would you categorise um, uh, your relationship with the network? How would you place no the, curly question. How would you place the network in the creative scheme of things? On outrageous, they you know, I'm I've been known in the past not to be the, a true friend of networks, but the TV three have been remarkable. I mean they've A, they've left the show where it is, they've promoted it. Um, I think the greatest compliment we ever got, I've ever had from a network was Every year we, we go and we take our story, what we're planning for the series, we go, we talk to the network. And it was about the se third series for season three. We just walked in, um, we, we're going to do this, this, and Kelly Martin, the um, uh, programmer, went, oh, yeah, you guys know what you're doing, just go away and do it. And, you know, they, and they've, they've, they give us notes, we have... You know, um, they have approval over cast, but mm. that's, a, that's a normal relationship. Mm. Um, and I, I think they have been... They're fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. They're really, really supportive. You didn't ever feel like, what the hell would you know about making a creative or I, countermanding I, I, one I of your... I think that everyone has a, a, a degree of amnesia about season one, because season ones are always really difficult. Um, and James did an amazing job of running season one. Um, and there were various nervousnesses and wrangles with the network, but I, and because people didn't know if it would work or not, and it was un, it was a different thing, and it was comedy drama, so there, there was a degree of nervousness um, and some argy bargy, but that's kind of a natural part of the process. And in the end, the the, the fact that the thing that you add to the show is the audience. Yeah. And once, once they come in, yeah. that's when you know whether it's going to work or not, and when that's actually when it becomes real. And this, I mean, it's gone down to the level of... I mean, normally there's a kind of a compartmentalisation of things, but we can go give notes to the promos people at TV3 and they don't mind. Can we say, just please do not show this? Mm. Don't, you know, we write... You, Rachel writes them, them notes and they're happy. They're happy with them. 
They don't feel like their creativity is being stifled. Well, by you don't it. want them blowing the whole sh the whole but episode. They, they often do. I mean, the promo people I know are quite busy, and so what they'll tend to do is they'll look in the last two acts for the the, the big stuff because they know it'll be there. So because they've occasionally blown really big secrets, I've kind of gone, please don't. You could use this, but please don't give away that. Because I like it that, as an audience, you, you guys can sit down and be surprised. And we try and kind of keep some really good bombs and curveballs in there so that it will be more fun for you. And if the promo people blow it, it's really annoying. I could imagine. I could imagine. I mean, over the five years, what is um, uh, the relationship between what the actors are presenting, like you create the world of the show and you give the characters their, you know, their starting points, but once the show, has, the words have been left with the actor, is there a two-way thing? Do the actors start suggesting storylines? We, we have, uh, every year we, we sit down and we, we talk the actors through what we're planning to do. Um, and we have a, a kind of an open door policy. I mean, they're allowed to comment there and then and to make suggestions. Frank Witten is particularly good at, at yes. suggestions. <laughs> yes, isn't he? <laughs> so yeah. they're a bit, sometimes they're a bit out there, but... <laughs> That's just you don't have any actors coming in asking for a jeep. A jeep is not a storyline. Uh, no. Oh, no, no. Uh, um, Tammy and uh, Anthony came in. Yeah, they did. And said and said, "Oh, you're going to take the piss because it was in your play, but we think we should have a car." <laughs> and so we did because it's a great idea. And yeah, great so we gave them a car. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Must yeah. feel like like mummy and daddy, I guess. You it come is. And ask yeah. and have you, have oh, your we'll present. see. Yeah, we'll see. Have yeah. some. Have some. Mm. Now, the fan base for this show is very loyal, mm. and I guess hardcore would be a word to describe it. Would you say? Uh, yeah, I guess. They're pretty passionate. They're very passionate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a really cult almost. Do you know, the thing I noticed last year, and I, I, I can't remember what the experience was that motivated the thought, but it, the, the, obviously it's built up an audience and the audience loves the show, but I get a really strong sense now that the characters move the audience. Mm. Like, there's such a connection now that it actually matters to the audience or, um, you know, how the characters are getting on. Like, they're, they're invested in them now, and which is lovely to be part of. You know. Ray, who runs Just Plain Interesting here in Pars Crossroad, it's his favourite show on television. And we're talking about a male in his mid-50s, I guess. And he is passionately yeah. passionate about it. Like, I, I've never heard of before about New Zealand television. So it's wonderful that it does actually penetrate, uh, I guess, into new markets. It's not just oh, perhaps no, a short... I mean, it, that's what is amazing, is it just crosses over. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very wide, and people seem to get it on all sorts of levels. Which and it's, is also it's, really it's not weighted at any gender or...? or it doesn't uh, seem or, to be. Yeah. My, my mum yeah. rang me up after episodes 10 and 11 recently, and she said, oh, you know, it's just the talk of the bowling club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't have to deal with my mother and her friends after we killed Aurora. Whoa. <laughs> oh, yes. How could you? And then on the other end of the scale, I take my kids to lollipops. Ugh. And a five-year-old will walk past looking slightly nervous and go, oh, Mrs West. And I'm like, you, you, you shouldn't be watching that. You shouldn't be watching this. 
Necrophilia, mm. incest, sex, drugs, oh. rock and roll. It was only ever implied necrophilia. Implied necrophilia is the worst kind. It's the worst kind. It was just body, a okay. <laughs> Now, perhaps I know that um, uh, there may be some questions um, that the audience will have for you, so perhaps we could open up and have uh, some question time. Right here. At this point, an audience member asked, how does the show translate overseas? Uh, it... It has had it had a limited screening run in Britain and uh, on a, a cable channel called Living TV. Mm. Yeah, and it didn't do so well actually. But they did buy the format and they made a six-part series called Honest um, using our, our storylines, using the characters which they well, kind of cannibalising. They cannibalised it. Yes, yes. It's not not that flesh. Yeah. To be totally honest, and they filmed um, the Mongolian actors. Well, naturally, it was, it was it was set in a sort of Essex, and there's no reason why it shouldn't have worked. But they kind of missed the point of the of of what, how we feel about the characters. It was like it was all taking the piss, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, all really stupid they were. But you know, I mean, which is not our point. We we actually love our characters passionately and defend them to the hilt, and they can do stupid things. But but we really care, and that's really what offended me is that they. They put them up there to be pilloried, mm. and therefore it wasn't very funny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, nothing from New Zealand that isn't actually faux American plays in America. But they did. Uh, ABC picked up um, the format again and made a pilot for a series called Good Behaviour, which set the Wests as tow truck drivers in Las Vegas. Um, but that, that didn't get picked up for series, as far as I'm aware. I, I don't think it's entirely dead. Um, it's gone down really well in Australia, which is... A great triumph. ..the mm, hardest yeah. thing for any New Zealand show to do. It's mm. quite remarkable. Um, and then every now and then you, I find little sales things that say it's sold to Estonia and Serbia, which I, <laughs> I just... You know, someone I know um, said they saw it in Finland. I just, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any Estonian fan mail yet? No, no. not yet. I get, I get fan mail from Lord of the Rings. What's the raciest yeah. fan mail you got? The what? The raciest fan mail. The raciest fan... Uh, they, they tend to keep the really racy stuff from us because it can get a little disturbing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I think a 17-year-old, you know... Um, You're a pin-up. Wrote, wrote me a bit of a, you know, dirty little fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> a wee bit kind of... If that person yeah. could leave the hall, please. On it. <laughs> he went a wee bit Jethro on it. Oh, dear yeah. God. Mm. Do we have another question? Don't be shy, they'll never be back again. I'm interested in the genesis of the names because Pascal, uh, Cheryl, they seem so West anyway. Um, and I'm just wondering... Uh, how you came up with names like Van, for instance, and what sort of fun you Ra had. Rachel's the name queen. Um, Van is because of Van Halen, and I thought that um, Wolf would have had a hand in naming them, and Jethro is for Jethro Tull. Um, and Pascal is because I thought that Cheryl probably reads romances and it's kind of classy. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And Loretta is because Cheryl likes country and western as yeah. well, even though we never get to play much of it. 
and actually spookily, um, it's like Rita, which is also the grandmother, but I, I didn't actually think of that at the time. Yeah. Um, and Ted was, also West is really good because there was a notorious British family by the name of the Wests. Um, so that was good too, fitted with the, the world and, and that little reference. They were serial killers, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rosemary and, and Fred West. Ted, Edward West failed the name check because we name check our things through the electoral rolls and so he became Theodore, which was much, much better. Mm, much cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Ted West. I think that's all of them. Yeah. yeah. And so every, every new character we have a long time talking about what they'll be called. Yeah, it's a yeah. great diversion. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> we were just saying how wonderful Shakespearean and outrageous fortune were a good name, how Bear Bodkin would not have been a good name. <laughs> <laughs> no one would watch that, watch that show. The working title was White Trash and it was just not a very nice... Um, it wasn't positive enough and that's why outrageous fortune, just because I wanted a word that was big in mm. the title and every, when you have a new series the network usually wants to change the title and that usually takes you months of what? coming up with alternatives. Why did you want a big word in the title? I just wanted something, again it was the, like the sex in the first act, I wanted something that said this is going to be outrageous, you know, this is going to be so can't, where did big. Can't say you then? weren't warned. Yeah. <laughs> who, who, who came up with the Hamlet reference? You know, like how, how did that happen? I've never asked you that. We... Wasn't that Victoria? <laughs> Sorry? Talking to Victoria, the lawyer? Uh, I can't remember. We, we, what? The only other writer out of copyright was Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> we, we started to give episodes titles just for ourselves in the, in the first series because, I don't know, to give the work some kind of legitimacy. Like it was art or something? Yeah, like yeah. it was you know, proper literature. Yeah. And we, it, there was, they were never intended to be seen anywhere. And so we, we would trawl through the net versions of Hamlet, putting in key words, sex, whatever, and you'd find quotes and you'd, mm. we'd have great fun picking them. And then we'd, we'd just kept going and we're, we're still mm. using Hamlet. We, we thought, should we yeah. change plays? Yeah. But you, no. You know, season three, <laughs> we tossed up doing Othello, but no, we stuck. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite one was, I think, I think it was like episode 10 of season one, you called it the fat weed that roots itself. Mm, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's Hamlet. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, uh, very like a whale. That was very like a whale. Have, have which done, which play is that from? Very like a whale. Again, we've been trying Hamlet, to really? find a spot for very like a whale. Yeah, and uh, tis a weasel I like. The, the fatness of these Percy times. That's that was good. that was a good one. Yeah. Percy yeah. times. Now there's an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions? Uh, at the back there. Oh, all those hands. I noticed you often feature New Zealand artists on your soundtrack and how much control do you have over the soundtrack and who features on it and is there any kind of policy around that? We have quite a lot of control. James is very good at listening to most new stuff that comes out. So he often has really good suggestions for thing for sequences that will accompany be accompanied by music. We also the um uh, we've done a, a deal with uh, Mana Publishing to get as many New Zealand artists at a rate that we can afford. And the editors um, all have access to a large library of New Zealand music um, when they're cutting it. And they've joined in boots and all. And we have great arguments about songs and the mm. directors join in. So it's become a something we're really proud of. And the two CDs are 
Yeah, I, I just think uh, it's great that a New Zealand series can you know, lead to that kind of thing. When you're, when you're writing, uh, do, you, do you hear a soundtrack for a particular scene or does music inspire you in any way? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah the, the episode on um, last week where um, Aaron Spiller played, yeah, and it, was, and it was originally down as a kind of a feelers kind of power ballad and I went to a concert and Ricky Morris got up and sang Nobody Else and I went, that's it, mm-hmm. we have to get that song and I had to argue and plead with people but I'm glad I won. Nice. More questions? I've got two questions. One is, have you ever thought about marketing the Hoochie Mama lingerie and also the Pascal's bags? And the second question is, um, particularly around, like, I know, Robin, you've been the sort of one of the pin-ups in terms of the Merrill um, Task Force on Violence billboards, yet there's been some violence. Remember around that time you actually slapped Loretta to the floor. So sort of how do you reconcile that, to, you know, that kind of image with, you know, what you're trying to portray um, in terms of, you know, good role model... Justin, well, the anti-violence stuff. Loretta's not human. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, the, the first question, um, it, I'm sure there has been... In fact, I was talking to the wardrobe um, head of wardrobe yesterday about the Hoochie Mama stuff, and uh, I know there's been conversations about that. I, I don't know how far they've gone, but it would make sense to me. Um, as far as the family um, family violence thing is concerned, um, I guess, you know, um, I, I'm an actor and and um, the, one of the things about storytelling, I think, is that is that nothing is nothing is sacred. And I think particularly with a show like Outrageous Fortune or any show that I like myself, if it starts becoming prescriptive, or didactic in some way, then um, I, I think you're missing the point. I also think that Outrageous Fortune, you know, we were talking about it before, has this kind of internal morality in terms of how they function, and um, I would hate to see that curbed, you know. I mean, we're not about telling people how to live. We're about reflecting a particular a particular family. And uh, I, I think Cheryl's probably changed her view on that kind of thing. I bet mm. she ran around the house with a... Women's Weekly trying to whack Jethro and Van and they were too fast. Yeah. Um, but I think actually how she would deal with Jane is different. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I, I suspect that she would do what my grandmother told me she used to do with her kids is that she'd get her, <laughs> she'd get her kids in the kitchen and then she'd get a, a wooden spoon and hit a cushion with it and then just tell them to yell. No. <laughs> just, <laughs> just pretend. You know... Um, <laughs> Well, we will be trying that when we get home. Yeah. <laughs> just pretend, just pretend, just pretend. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I draw that line really clearly myself, but I also don't think that... I mean, it's one thing to... Um, Cheryl strikes her adult children the times when she has. It's been out of anger or, you know, personal anger. It's been, there's always been... A, um, yeah, but she did frame her father, for God's sake. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I doubt she would have dealt with her kids in that, when they were little in that, in that same way um, because she's all about her kids. Um, I, you know, yeah. Loretta deserved a punch then. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she did. And let's face it, there's, there's quite a lot of family violence in Hamlet as well. <laughs> yeah, that ended really badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you can read Cheryl's childcare tips in our books. So. Yeah. 
which I think uh, might be available for, for signing. Yeah. Uh, I loved what James wrote. I don't know how many of you read in the back page of the canvas when you, you got into that debate, James, and you... You wrote... Um, oh, about the West trying to the work West, out the question. The West's trying to work out the, the referendum. And Van, what was it? Van thought that you could... Um, um, if you smack your kids, you could only do it in Australia. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Pascal thought it was... Um, what was it? The anti... Uh-huh, um... What was it? She... Oh, God, I can't remember. Oh, anyway, um, it was very funny. It was very funny. Snacking. Yeah. Snacking? Snacking, anti-snacking. Yeah, that's right. I think it was Sam Golden who said if you want to send a message, use Western Union. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of applies yeah. to, to drama. It, we're not they, here. They've got their preach. own moral code mm. and it does get tested and I think mm. that's partly why people like it. Yeah. Is that I mean they they really they're not once were warriors, you know. No, they're not. They're not. Um, I was just wondering who you think, out of all the characters, has changed and developed the most? Because I found Loretta, in particular, she's changed quite a lot since series one. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 she, prob she has. She's certainly, yeah, grown up a lot. And maybe she's just got sneakier in a, in a better way. Hmm. Well, yeah. Her discovery of sex kind of changed her. That changed her. Yeah. Just falling in love changed her. Yeah. Um, but I had to remember having an interesting conversation with Antonia because she had a season where she was spectacularly evil and then kind of turned around and we were talking about that and I said, but actually what, Loretta hasn't really become good. She's just realised that she needs sneakier tactics and that actually mm. this is not a successful method of getting what she wants. So it's not really that she's gone all soppy. Just more no. devious. More devious, clearly. I think Pascal's changed a lot, though, too. Yeah. Really. But uh, the, their personalities feel the same. Yeah. Last question. I wanted to talk to you about the sex. It's always been outrageous with lots and lots of sex. Do you get many complaints? And I think one gets used to a level of the sex. And then that one... We began the beginning of a new series and they went to that left dancing club. They went to the left <laughs> dancing club. And I, my eyes just... I know, that was James's fault. Mortified. And I was <laughs> inundated uh, with look, complaints. I, and this last series, there's been very little sex. Not enough. Not sorry. enough. Yeah, yeah sorry. Enough. <laughs> sorry. So it's we're, been we're, more fortune we're, than outrageous. We're, we're rectifying that in series six. Yeah. But we, we realised we... Yeah, we were um, falling down on the job. Yeah, they got, they've got out the big guns for season six, don't worry. Yeah, the episode you talk about, it kind of, it shocked me, and that was, it went further than I thought it would do. But um, that was Mark Beasley. Yeah, we've yeah. had a particularly um, enthusiastic <laughs> director on that episode. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he was right in arguing that it needed to be like that to, to build up the shock of for Milt when he died, etc. Um, there was a rationale behind it. And um, one of the funniest, too, you know, like, was it, there was a split... split um, Right, uh, you were calling him on the phone. Phone conversation with the <laughs> Cheryl Furious on one side talking to Wolf with a woman here, <laughs> you know, on the other side. I mean, it was, fun it was, was funny, I remember. Mm. But I guess as with all things, uh, how much sex is too much sex? I think one of the rudest sex scenes was one where 
Antonia asked me to tone something down. It just said she was having section doing dialogue through the scene. So I went, oh, OK. So I wrote in a whole lot of foreplay and it ended up being disgusting. The one that we had most complaints about, you couldn't see a thing. It was all played off the, the, the two characters oh, in the bed. The they, that was the digital one. And I got blamed for that again. And it was the bloody director again. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, though, because the sex and outrageous fortune is is pretty grubby. I don't... It's very, really exploitative, except in a kind of a... Exploitative way. There was the one where Jethro was rooting Cherie pretending to be Van. That was pretty dark. And that was quite... That was a bit borderline dark, and I remember the censor from TV3 was not too happy about that one. Mm. But it's fascinating to me that, you know, like we, we, you know, some people get very head up about that and yet we're prepared to chuck our kids in front of something at 8.30, you know, some American show about pathologists that's got just the most extreme level of violence, you know. We seem to be more comfortable somehow with violence than sex, which has always seemed kind of um, Mm. weird to me. Last orders? We have run out of questions by the look of it. Well, there we have it. Well, um, on behalf of everyone here... Uh, James, Robin, Rachel, thank you so much for coming. And a a warm Waitakere farewell. (laughs) And I would like like to add um, our grateful thanks to Barney and South Pacific Pictures for giving us some dosh for the festival. Thank you, South Pacific. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to Going West Audio. You can subscribe to the podcast and our regular updates at goingwestfest.co.nz.